Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 3, Episode 5. Stealth. The old man sat on the metal grating of the water tower walkway. His feet dangled over the edge. He stared out into the morning landscape, lost in thought, like a medieval gargoyle brooding over a Paris body house. The early summer trees in the distance were a redolent green carpet exploding from their winter sleep. Across this vista, the city buildings gave way slowly to the forest, first with an intermittent infusion of green fingers reaching down to the urban streets, then more trees than buildings with shaded roofs poking out occasionally, and finally an unbroken canopy to the west. The way the city merged into the forest gave him the distinct impression that the forest was eating the city like creeping green ivy consuming an abandoned building. Here and there, the morning mist hung in the shadows of the steep Tennessee hills. He supposed the locals might call them hollers. If not for the knowledge that under that tree canopy, skeletons of the dead lay still in their gruesome final repose, it might be a postcard-perfect view of a postcard-perfect morning. The perfect beauty of this sun-warm day should have filled him with peace. But it did not. The world felt heavy on him this morning— Somewhere out there was Tullahoma State Technical College, and as they got closer to Paul's school, the old man's thoughts became darker, his motivation became weaker, and it got hard to move. Shouldn't he feel the opposite? Shouldn't he be excited? As he approached the completion of his journey, the purpose began to lose its ability to drive him, to inspire him. Instead, he felt a great foreboding, a heaviness that made him move slowly and become morose with dark thought. It wasn't fear of death or even a fear of discovering his son's ultimate death. It was a fear they would never get the opportunity to fix what had gone wrong between them. That was what caused this dark mood. The closer he got to his son, the more movement towards his goal was pushed back like the opposing poles of two magnets. He knew he had to shake himself out of this mental torpor because he also knew that in the apocalypse, a lack of focus could kill you. 
He supposed this was the great irony of humankind, our ability to outthink our problems and our enemies also prevented us from ever finding peace. That one tiny mutation in our genetic makeup that caused just a slight increase in the production of neurons in the frontal cortex. That's all it took. Then appeared a new generation of smarter Neanderthals. Not smarter, per se, but more thoughtful. But... For this gift of thought, humans paid in suffering. The ability to make complex tools, paint images on cave walls, and to communicate from one generation to the next came with baggage. Complex thinking led to worrying about the future and bemoaning the past. Worrying and bemoaning until those tangled anxieties of imagined frailties and existential terrors dragged us down. It had been like this for the old man his entire life. The moroseness of dark thought hovering just outside his perception, waiting to find him lost and without purpose, waiting for him to hesitate or show mental weakness. He was happiest, he supposed, when events drove him, when he was forced to live in the moment and he wasn't given the opportunity to think. Studying for the next exam, treating the next patient, climbing the next rung. As long as he was battling in the fury of living, his thoughts never had the freedom to grow dark. But was that really happiness? The hamster wheel of spinning through life, surfing the wave of the next thing to do— or was it just a smokescreen that insulated his big brain from the dripping anxiety of human existence? See anything interesting? Janet's question startled him back to reality, like he had been woken from a deep sleep. He straightened up, exhaled, and opened his eyes to look at her. No, he replied. Beautiful morning, though. He added with a forced smile. You all right? She asked, cocking her head. Yeah, just thinking. He adjusted his weight on the platform with a grunt. Careful with that, she commented. Not good to think too much these days. Don't I know it? He responded. They had tracked to where they had seen the lit symbol the night before, and investigated the source of the strange light. What they found was a long string of LED lights mounted on the city's water tower, rigged in the shape of the circle and starburst symbol. The water tower was perched, as water towers usually were, on a rise at the edge of town. The top of the tower was lined with a solar panel array. Someone had tapped into this existing power source to light the lights. As they had conjectured, the lights were on a timer. No one was there to throw a switch. The timer was set to come on at night and turn off in the morning. It was a simple setup, but someone had taken the trouble to wire it up. Janet stated what they were both thinking. Well, that solves the mystery of these lights, but just adds to the greater mystery of who is behind all this. 
Yeah, the old man agreed, still a bit lost in thought. She looked at him curiously for a moment. I'm going down to get the binoculars. Where did you stow them? In the front pocket of my pack, he said distractedly as she swung herself through the hole in the catwalk and made her way back down the metal access ladder to the ground. The old man thought about Paul and the last time they were together in person. He tried to bring that image of Paul into focus in his mind. It wasn't as easy as it should be. For some reason, it was easier to picture Paul as a four-year-old, all bright and shiny and full of life, laying on the couch of their apartment, cuddled up close, reading Green Eggs and Ham. That was a clear memory that brought a warmth to the old man's heart. But when he tried to bring into focus, the Paul from their last meeting was like trying to touch a hot stove. His mind recoiled at the image of a scowling, moody young man, pudgy and bespectacled, looking blankly at his hands as his father tried to connect, tried to make some kind of sense out of the man his son had become, tried to build a bridge, but he could not, and that still haunted him. It was impossible to draw a line between the promise of the exuberant four-year-old, soul full of life and promise, and his memory of the sullen form hunched over a cooling coffee. Still, he probed his memory. He scratched through the wall of emotion that separated them and sensed in his son a smoldering, passionate intellect. There was something special still there that the old man tried to connect to, but could not. There was so much anger and pain in the way. The gulf was too wide to cross. And now, sitting on the catwalk of this water tower, the old man felt the heaviness of the fact that he was moving towards a painful resolution. Either, against all odds, his son was still alive, and the gulf between them would need to be crossed, or, as was more probable, his son was gone, and that rift would remain unresolved. Janet dug through the pack to find the binoculars. Bill growled a warning from his guard position, and she tensed, "'Papers!' The word was an interjection from the disheveled man approaching the fence surrounding the tower. Indeed, Janet responded with an annoyed glance. I see your back, Rabbit. They had let Rabbit go when they left, but he had followed like a stray dog that had been fed too many treats. He hadn't been able to keep up with them as they pushed their joggers toward the tower, but he had caught up with them now. Rabbit didn't seem like a threat, but she didn't need this annoying mascot in her life right now. She had enough to worry about. Rabbit, why don't you go home? She instructed. You'll be safer there. He just looked at her. She sighed, hung the binoculars around her neck, and began to climb to where the old man was perched. As she regained the catwalk, she saw that the old man was lost in thought again, focused on some unseen distant point in the horizon, 
with a lingering scowl like he was surrounded by angry ghosts. Hey, she got his attention. I know this is hard for you, but whatever happens, we'll handle it, okay? He acknowledged her with a slight rising of a smile. Okay. Janet braced her elbows on the metal railing and brought the binoculars to her eyes. She worked across a landscape from left to right, pausing every now and then to adjust the focus and inspect an area more closely. There was an open area to the northwest that seemed to have some smoke rising from it. She couldn't be sure with the prevalence of morning mist, but it looked like it could be smoke. Not enough for a brush fire or anything, just the thin columns that they had learned to identify as cooking fires. She looked up from her binoculars to find Rabbit had clambered up the ladder to sit with the old man. The two of them perched on the catwalk with legs dangling like two old crows on a telephone wire. She had to admit it was a bit comical. There's an open area over to the northwest a couple miles. Looks like a park or a campground of some sort. I think there's smoke, she said to the old man, handing him the binoculars. He, in turn, stood up and focused on where she was pointing. He understood the significance of smoke. Smoke meant survivors. In the apocalypse, survivors were a reason for hope and a reason for caution. Like humanity itself, survivors tended to fall into one of two groups. Those who had held on to their humanity, who were organizing and clawing their way back into civilization, and those who had devolved into mindless savages that preyed like cockroaches on the corpse of that same civilization. I see it, he said. Cooking fires, survivors, boomers, Rabbit interjected happily, and they both turned to him a bit startled, as if an alarm they had forgotten they had set suddenly went off. Boomers? Janet asked, and Rabbit bobbed his head in assent. Survivors, the old man said. I guess we should go investigate. But we're only a couple miles from the college, Janet protested. Shouldn't we go there first? I don't know, the old man equivocated. We've got too many unknowns here. Best not to leave an unknown on our flanks. And besides, those could be survivors from the college. They might know something. Janet raised an eyebrow but acquiesced. He seemed to be avoiding the resolution of his quest for some reason. But she'd give him some leash. She owed it to him. She had lost her own family, and it almost broke her. They all carried pain now, and it changed them. The old man turned slowly around with the binoculars, panning across the horizon, back the way they had come. Zane sat astride his bike in the morning sun. He was stowing his own field glasses into a side pocket of his pack in preparation to ride. He had been following the progress of these new survivors from the apartment building to the water tower. They were up on the tower now, looking around, and he wanted to get under the canopy cover before they saw him. 
He was east of them and had the morning sun behind him, so it was probably okay. That would make it hard for them to see him, like they were blinded by the high beams of an approaching truck. He flipped his pack over his back and pushed off down the hill, back to cover. Those survivors hadn't turned away. They were still approaching the school zone. Zane was under strict orders from the Mac to not let survivors get too close. If he guessed right, they had probably seen the zoo and would head in that direction to investigate. Zane faced a decision. He could go back to base and get help, or he could try to manage the situation himself. Which was his preference. He settled on a plan to get in front of them before they reached the zoo. He had already reported in, so Mac knew what the situation was. If he couldn't handle them, he could always go back for help. Zane could get in front of them by cutting across via the power lines that ran south, going around the marsh and swinging back before they got to the zoo. Boomers didn't move that fast. He could beat them there easily enough on his bike. If they did head for the zoo, he would be there waiting to collect them. It should be easy enough to lead them into one of the traps. It always was. Boomers were too curious for their own good. The warm summer air cooled quickly as he slid through a thermocline layer to where the bottom of the hill leveled out into marshy ground and the mist gathered like gas from a rotting corpse. Zane shook off a shiver and drove his bike forward with machine-like efficiency. The best traps were the simplest traps, and it was simple. Nothing more than a big mouse trap, really. They set some trailers and shipping containers down on open ground. They mocked up survival supplies in them. When the boomers went inside to investigate, the door slammed and locked. The nerds had rigged it with sensors. Once they were inside, they were trapped. Then he could approach safely and talk to them. When they were ready to cooperate... And when they had given up their weapons, they were set free to continue their travels or they were left to live out their lives in the zoo. If there were cohorts among them who could be brought into the collective, they were. Even with their higher survival rate, the collective could always use more help. New recruits required extensive re-education and that taxed the collective's limited resources. But... It worked out for the best at the end of the day. The kaiju said something like, Rivers need water to flow. Zane ran through all this in his head as he cranked his way across the valley and up the next hill. He had just the trap in mind. It was an old box trailer. It was painted with a smiling kid holding a snack cake. Boomers couldn't resist the thought of magical snack cakes. He smiled at that. Collecting these old-timers would be a piece of cake. Then he heard the distinctive swisp, swisp, swisp of air escaping from a tire. Crap, he thought, and did some calculations in his head. 
I can swap that tube out in less than five minutes. I should still be able to beat them to the trailer. And with that, he quickly got to work, flipping the bike. He popped a quick release on the front wheel and dug into his saddle pack for the tire levers and CO2 cylinder. Piece of cake. The old man lowered the binoculars and looked at Janet with concern on his face. What is it? Janet asked, glad that he was recovering from his recent mood. We're being followed, he said matter-of-factly. Are you sure? By who? Janet looked around with some alarm in her voice. By whom? Rabbit corrected shyly, and when the two others looked at him, he shrugged and added, Hoodies! It was the old man who asked the next obvious question. You're saying these hoodies are following us? Did these hoodies make the bone piles and these symbols? Hoodies! Rabbit agreed and nodded a positive response. Is over there where the hoodies live? Janet asked hopefully, pointing to where they saw the smoke. Boomers! Rabbit shook his head. I get more rational answers talking to the dog, Janet swore. The tension was rising again as they sought to understand the level of threat they faced from this new group. Turning to Janet, the old man explained, I thought I saw something last night when we were on the roof, but wasn't sure. I just saw it again. Someone on a bicycle. On a bicycle? Janet asked. Yeah, like a mountain bike type, dressed in black, watching us from the hilltop to the east. Something still doesn't feel right, she responded. I feel like we're reacting here. I'd feel better if we had a plan. Looking through the binoculars again, the old man said, There's a dust trail. Looks like they're heading west towards the smoke you saw to the northwest. But now he paused and thought, They're going to have to go around that big marsh to get there. Even on a bike, that's going to take some time. But it's a straight shot for us. He pointed towards the open area where they had seen the smoke. How about we drop our gear and get there before they do? We can see the lay of the land first. Maybe set up a surprise for them and get some answers. He smiled. They won't expect us to move as fast as we can. I like it, Janet said, already heading down the ladder. If we move fast, we can intercept them. That's the only way to get the upper hand. Sorry, Rabbit. We're going to take off now, and you're not going to be able to keep up, the old man said as he too made his way towards the ladder. Janet added, Rabbit, go home. You'll be safer in your building. Things are about to get interesting. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, my Survivor friends. So what would you think of uh, Season 3, Episode 5? Maybe things are going to get interesting. I don't know. So how are we doing this week? Podcasts are a strange form of time travel, aren't they? You, you may be one of those listeners who have been binge listening through the podcast and you just got to this episode. In that case, all of this seems like yesterday, right? You just listened to an episode 30 minutes ago. Or you may be one of those listeners who have caught up and now you're you're forced to wait an excruciating two whole weeks for the next episode goodness how slow they seem to come or you could be listening five years in the future when this episode is just a dim flicker of a memory for the rest of us so i'm doing a better job this season of writing ahead but even that is a bit challenging because of this time travel it's challenging for me because it means I just listened to episode four when it was released to the public this weekend, this last weekend. Yes, I do listen to the finished product. But I've also written, and Robert has recorded this episode, episode five, and now I'm in the middle of producing that. Bear with me. And I'm also working on a draft of episode six. So I got all three of those episodes bouncing around in my head which is confusing as hell for my furry little brain sometimes. But, uh, yeah. What took you a week to binge listen to was two years of my life! I have no point. I just wanted to say that that's some weird time travel stuff right there, isn't it? Hey, so whoever and whenever you are, thank you for joining us on this little adventure. We are an independent podcast. Written and produced by me. (laughs) And read by the wonderful Robert Weinheimer. Since we are independent, we need your support. I work for free, (laughs) but Robert gets paid, so we we gotta pay Robert. So please consider becoming a patron on Patreon, or you can use the new membership option on ACAST to get that early release, commercial free, and I'll send you a patch. The links are here in the show notes. So I have a book report to share with you today. I am quite proud of myself for having read another from the classic fiction canon, Watership Down. Yes, I've been trying to fill in the egregious gaps in my reading history. Yes, there are important books or even significant books that I have not read. And even though I am a voracious reader and am in firm possession of the finest prep school liberal arts education, I still find important books that I haven't read. 
And one of the places I find these gaps is on the ever-popular listicles, like 100 books everyone should read before they turn into a pumpkin, and the ilk. A couple of weeks ago, I was perusing one such listicle on the interwebs. I was looking for my, my next victim, my next thing to read. And as I scanned down the list, smugly placing bright green imaginary check marks next to each entry, read that one, check, read that one, check, I came upon, at number 59, sandwiched between Anna Karenina, check, read that one, and Memoir of a Geisha, check, read that one, the entry of, at number 59, Watership Down. And I paused. I had not read Watership Down. The title of the book, frankly, has always puzzled me. What is a watership and why? Was it some sort of spaceship? Why was it down? Did it get shot down? Did it crash? And there were rabbits on the cover. I remember this title popping up on science fiction lists. So were these, like, alien rabbits that crash-landed their watership or something? I don't know. Seemed like something I should look into. So I duly clicked and bought a nice used paperback to see what the story of these alien bunnies and their mystery ship would bring. So it turns out, this is one of those English versus American language things. As the playwright George Bernard Shaw is attributed to having quipped, Britain and the U.S. are, quote, two nations separated by a common language. It turns out there are no spaceships or aliens involved at all. Watership Down is a place in southeastern England, and the book is about rabbits. Rabbits having an adventure. Watership Down was written by Richard Adams, not Douglas Adams, Richard Adams, and published in 1972. Let me stop right here and say I like this book. I liked it because it is different, but at the same time it's universal. It's one of those books which you will find many stories about, right? You will find many examples of these on your top 100 lists. And we're frankly lucky we got these books published at all because they're different. Different is good in my book. Different makes it hard to publish. It is the first book written by Richard Adams. And the genesis of this work is from stories that he improvised on long car rides to tell his daughters. And eventually his daughters insisted that he write them down. He did. And that became Watership Down. Every publisher in London turned the manuscript down. Talking rabbits, really? Except one small independent publisher who took a chance. And the book took off and became a classic by word of mouth. And the rest is, as they say, history. So why did this book resonate? Well, like I said, it's different in the sense that it chronicles the journey of a group of rabbits. But within that story, there is a universal sameness that resonates with us. There's a universal resonance. And it's a story that can only come from British people, I think. 
because it's fermented in the mind of a British scholar in the way that only British scholars' minds can ferment. Love it or hate it, the classic British education makes for interesting authors. They're strapped to medieval oaken desks in preparatory schools at a young age and force-fed the Western Codex from Homer to Shakespeare to Churchill, and this spawns greatly entertaining hallucinations like The Hobbit and Watership Down. The universal themes in Watership Down, whether intentional or not, call back to every great hero's journey since the Ennead. There are themes of power corrupting, of leadership, of cooperation. There is bravery and trickery. On the one hand, it's all very obvious. But when you drive these themes through the anthropomorphic, that's a hard word to say, viewpoint of the rabbits, it makes the obvious themes feel fresh and feel less obvious. It somehow contextualizes the storytelling in a wonderful way. At times, I was reminded of Tolkien. At times, I was reminded of Homer. At times, I was reminded of veiled British political commentaries like Alice in Wonderland and The Animal Farm. And at times, I sensed the religious storytelling of the screw tape letters or The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It just felt like I was comfortably ensconced in an old cottage in the Cotswolds with a roaring fire surrounded by all these literary voices. And that's what this book is like. Even if Adams didn't intend all of these impressions, he can't help but let them bleed through. Adams said in interviews that none of this was intentional. He was just storytelling for his daughters. And I think that's what makes the universal themes in Watership Down so wonderful. It makes the story so wonderful. These themes, they come through as guileless and even accidental. And in that way, they are even more universal. Watership Down. Well written, great descriptive prose, nuanced in its unintentional references, a good story to read to your kids. I don't know how I missed it for this long. That's Season 3, Episode 5 for us, in the can as they say. Thank you, my friends, for listening. Hope you're enjoying it. Hope you get value from the enjoyment of the show. And if you do, why not share a little of that value, a little of that joy, either with me by donating or at least share it with your friends. And you know all those friends you have, those nerdy clubs that you're a member of. I know you have clubs you're a member of, the Horseshoe Binding Confederation, the Bagel Twisting Club, the Royal Order of Velvet Plushies, you know. All those people you interact with, share it with them. I'm sure your fellow members of the Nautical Underwater Underwear Society will appreciate that you've shared it with them when you're at your next Dockside congregation. And in the immortal words of Jerry Maguire, help me help you and uh, show me the money. As always, you can find us on Facebook at Old Man Apocalypse. We have a group there, or you can reach out to me directly with anything at all at cyktrussell, two s's, two l's, at gmail.com. Enjoy your Halloween, and remember to keep surviving.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.